Coming today then to think of happiness in the book of Proverbs. And happiness is a feeling, an emotion expressing our joy. A happy event is an event that brings joy to us, such as the birth of a baby or our graduation. Happy hunting ground in American Indian legend was the paradise to which a person passes after death. And we still use that expression. Happy medium is a course that avoids two extremes, perhaps a phrase that is used in the home at times. We are confronted with the idea of happiness often in our life as we are wished a happy birthday, a happy new year. Some thinkers have despised happiness. One writer says happiness, that's nothing more than health and a poor memory. Another has said happiness is an imaginary condition formerly often attributed by adults to children and by children to adults. But one proverb asserts, one joy can scatter a hundred griefs. We know the power, the impact, the effect of happiness in our life. But while we're acquainted with the idea of happiness and while we experience it, We often find it hard to define it. We can use synonyms for happiness like blissful, cheerful, elated, joyful, pleased, thrilled, without actually giving a definition of it. Writers have reflected on the elusiveness of defining happiness. One says, ask yourself whether you are happy and you cease to be. Another says, if you want to be happy, be. We find it hard to identify and define happiness. George Sand, a French novelist, comes closest to giving a definition among thinkers. He describes the ingredients of happiness as simple tastes, a certain degree of courage, self-denial to a point, love of work, And above all, a clear conscience. The road to obtaining happiness is often described as difficult and a roundabout road. One writer asserts that happiness is not best achieved by those who seek it. And maybe that has been our experience. One writer similarly writes, happiness is like coke, something you get as a byproduct in the process of making something else. And so this idea and experience of happiness is known to us, and yet in some elements it's unknown to us. We experience it, but we struggle to define it, and perhaps wrestle with identifying how to get it. And so our sermon today is is really useful for us because we want to counter this vagueness, perhaps in our own thinking and certainly among the thinking of others. Because here in the book of Proverbs, there are assertions of happiness. And it sets out for us three roads to happiness. And each of those roads has three areas beneath it. And so as we leave church today, we will have nine texts from the book of Proverbs 
which teach us about happiness. Firstly, our actions. Secondly, our words. And thirdly, other people. And from these three sources, the the writer asserts that happiness can be found. Perhaps we know Christ and we have that deep happiness. But, But I trust as we move through our sermon today, you will learn further ways that happiness can be brought to you. Firstly then, faith, and this is foundational, our actions. Chapter 16, verse 20, the verse we read to the young people, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. This verse is helpful as we begin an understanding of happiness, for it gives us insight into the scriptural understanding of happiness. In this verse, the word blessed means happy and is explained by the parallel and previous line as discover good. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So to be happy in this verse and in Bible terms means to discover good. The avenue to happiness and discovering good is set out for us here. Give thought to the word and trust in the Lord. If we consider the second phrase, first, blessed is he who trusts in the Lord, we know this is the way of salvation. It is not the person who trusts their own efforts who is happy. They are deluded that they are safe. But as we trust in the Lord Jesus who has lived the perfect life in our place and died on the cross for our sins, then we are blessed. We are truly happy. The other phrase, whoever gives thought to the word, can also refer to the promise of salvation. Derek Kidner comments, the divine word is met here. So as we listen And respond to the promise of salvation in God's word. John 3.16 for example. We discover good. The good of peace. Peace with God. The good of hope. Hope of eternal life. In the Bible. Faith in Jesus. And trusting God's word. Are linked together in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. I was struck, as I think I've said before, by the BBC reporting of Eliane Andam, the girl killed in Croydon at 15 years of age in September. The report included the family saying that their primary comfort was that she had faith in Jesus Christ as her saviour. And that is the clarity that we are to have on this matter. Nothing fuzzy Nothing woolly, nothing befuddled, nothing discombobulated, nothing muddled, but absolute clarity. The word trust in our verse explains the nature of saving faith, its reliance, its dependence for salvation. And the words in the Lord identify the object of our saving faith, an interpersonal 
transaction of trust between my soul and Jesus. He who trusts in the Lord is happy. If you're not yet a Christian, you're not happy. Not really happy. A lady speaking on the radio yesterday when asked how she was replied, absolutely wonderful. And I thought, are you? Or are you lying because you're on the radio and are truly unhappy? Or worse, are you deluded? She was a farmer visiting her mother, happily married. Were all those things providing her some level of happiness, but not that ultimate level of happiness? But we, after facing the reality of our sinful hearts and the reality of the final judgment, when we'll all give account to God for the things done in our body, whether they are good or bad, can only be happy through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the first road to happiness set out for us in Proverbs. Blessed is he or she, old or young, who trusts in the Lord. Secondly, obedience, chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The second avenue to happiness is obedience to God's law. This statement is in contrast to the previous statement in the verse, those who disregard or have an ignorance of God's law. No vision, that is, no prophetic revelation. Either the presence of a prophet in the community or the absence of God's word in Bible form in the community or the absence of faithful preaching in the community where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Cast off means to go wild, to let their hair down, literally to be made naked. And the Old Testament example of this, perhaps in the writer's mind, is in the instance when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and Aaron was left with the people in Exodus chapter 32. Moses wasn't there to restrain the people. Aaron's lips were sealed and consequently the people cast off restraint. There was no prophetic vision at that time. They cast off restraint and they worshipped the golden calf. In that state of freedom, in their state of liberation, in their state of licentiousness, there was no true happiness. Feelings of emptiness and guilt and shame and fear took over the people after their initial excitement. Our happiness, this proverb is asserting, is achieved not by throwing aside the divine restraints, but by living within them. Blessed is he who keeps the law. Even in secular matters, this promise is true. A family in England now owe £150,000 in legal fees because they wanted to topple their house and build two houses which was contrary to the rules of the de development that they were in. They did not heed the word, the laws of their community. And so we ask ourselves, 
Are we keeping God's law? An important question for people within the Reformed tradition. We argue that we're not saved by law keeping and sometimes we can throw away God's law because of our strength of argument that we're not forgiven by God by law keeping. But we are to keep the law as believers. We are not perfect in this life and we won't be perfect in this life. But there is, but is there? A glaring, an obvious, a tangible, a repeated sin in your life that you feel guilt over when you commit it, that you are not dealing with, then you will be unhappy. Is there lying, fornication, adultery, coveting, dishonoring parents? To be a happy person, this proverb is saying, to have a happy marriage, a happy family, we must keep God's law. People are spending thousands chasing happiness. They're spending hours pursuing it. This proverb says, blessed is he who keeps the law. And by adopting this proverb, we're not burdening ourselves here. We're not putting a yoke on us that we cannot carry. We're helping ourselves here to see the way to happiness. Blessed is he, she, they, them who keeps God's law. Before you spend hours with a counsellor about your unhappiness or a fortune on luxuries to get the feel-good factor, the spice, the zest back in your life, try repentance and obedience to the law of God. Do you think Taylor Swift is happy? She's rich. She's famous, she's popular, but is she happy? I doubt it. Even after entering the exclusive billion-dollar club and owning five luxury houses across the world, here is a wisdom that she doesn't have or perhaps has rejected. Blessed is she who keeps the law of God. Faith, obedience, thirdly, generosity. Verse 21 of chapter 14. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. The third area in our works of happiness, the road to happiness, is generosity to the poor. The neighbor and the poor are the same people. Thus, this refers not to the person that lives next door to us, though it might be, but to the person we come across in need, whether we know them or not. Poor here in 1421 can refer to poor in intellect, or in health, or in finance, or in social friendships and skills. And happiness comes to us if we're generous to the poor. It's easy for us to ignore the poor, to blame their poverty on themselves, their laziness, their wastefulness, or their neglect. But we're to notice them and to be generous to them. Vogue magazine has a black book and has given it to Cruz Beckham, David Beckham's son, who is trying to become a pop star. And the black book is filled with the contact numbers of influential people. But our black book is to be filled with the details of the poor. 
This proverb helped me in this past week. Lorna Watson, in her outstanding talk at the bereavement group on Wednesday, was asked what helped her during the 11 months period of illness prior to losing her husband. And she said, people calling round at the house each week with food. My neighbor was ill, is ill. And I was wondering how I could show them kindness in his poor health without being an imposition. And after Lorna's talk, I determined to buy them a chocolate cake. But the cheapest quality chocolate cake I could find was eight quid. And inwardly, I was standing at the till grumbling about the price of this thing until I remembered this verse. Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Our works, secondly, our words. Chapter 12, verse 25, good words. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Here's another avenue to our happiness or another's happiness. A good word makes him glad. The person described here is depressed, sunk, low. The Hebrew word is bottom. They're at rock bottom. Anxiety has brought them down here. They're anxious about little time to complete their project or little money to survive or few friends in their social circle. But this low, this dark, this bottom place mood is changed and transformed by a good word, a kind word, a gracious word, a generous word, an encouraging word can transform the mood of those who are low. Lorna Watson remembered in her grief, she lost her, her husband and she had four teenage children. And in her grief, she remembered the words of a friend who said, family will let you down, friends will let you down, but God will never let you down. And it was a good word for her. It's one reason for us to prepare to come to church, to linger around church, Come ready to impart a good word to the anxious. Here's a ministry that we can all be involved in. A 10-year-old can do this. Let's be masters of this ministry. Like you, we get negative comments, criticisms from others. Sometimes just a wall of silence from people. Maybe we're avoided. Perhaps we find in Spurgeon's advice to his ministry students, his helpful comments taken from the motto of a Scottish castle that I've been teaching it to my children in this past week. They say, what do they say? Let them say. And while that motto might help us from going insane or caring too much about the opinions of others, this proverb, will cause us to thrive. A good word will make us glad. Secondly, good news. Chapter 15, verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. The countenance of the messenger here, their, their eyes are alight, they're glowing with good news. The, the elation of the soul has been reflected in that window of the soul 
the eyes. And it rejoices the heart of the recipient of the news. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. There's a child who's had an exam. They've come home. They've sat down to tell their their mother the results of the exam. and, And the mother knows exactly what the result is going to be because she can see it in the eyes that are lit up of this young child eager to tell her mother the result. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. But when the good report is verbalized, when it's spoken, when it's put into words, when the good news is delivered, it refreshes the bones. The bones indicate the whole person, the very core of the person, the body, the soul. We say, I I felt it in my bones. That's the very depth of our being. So good news brought to us, refreshes the bones. Another source of happiness. I don't know what Presbyterian is going to say in a couple of weeks' time. You'll all hear. uh, It's like... Waiting for the exam results, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But for your encouragement, if you're nervous about this, and, and no one should be more nervous than myself, but anyway, uh, if you're nervous about this, five men in the presbytery went out of their way to express their absolute joy at our meeting. They were delighted to hear about the ministry and worship and service here. The good news refreshed their bones. One of them was your former minister, Robert, sought me out in the hall there while I was drinking my coffee and scoffing buns to express his joy. Another was an elder from Ballyclare. I met him out in Regent Street. It was pouring rain at the time and I couldn't get away from him. He wanted to express to me the encouragement that he received. There's been discouragements and we mentioned them on Tuesday. But overall, it is encouraging that refreshes the bones of some of those men in Presbytery and our bones. And of course, the greatest news that we have heard is the gospel. The news that though we are a sinner before Almighty God, we can be forgiven as we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And this is news that brings us happiness. And thirdly, In our words, a good reply. Chapter 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. Another source of joy is a good reply or a well-timed word. We often say, I should have thought of that. I wish I'd said that. I wish I'd thought of that at the time. But there's also times when we do think and say the right thing and it thrills us perhaps our apt answer diffuses a difficult difficult situation perhaps it turns a mood of pessimism into optimism maybe the second half of this proverb we know more of the joy of it from receiving a word in season how good it is a seasonable word given or received by us is so good that it makes us happy 
And what a wonderful thing it would be for us to have this type of ministry in our congregation. And the importance of this word in season was emphasized to me in this past week as I've been reading the biography of Benjamin Morgan Palmer, a prominent preacher in America and theologian there. Sometimes when rumors fly, when things go sour for someone, we run a mile from them. No one wants to go near them. We stand at a distance and watch them sink and let them burn. No one wants to roll up their sleeves and help us. There's no word in season for us. But a word in season, in that type of season, how good it is. Benjamin Morgan Palmer became one of the greatest preachers in America, but he was kicked out of his college and had to return home at the age of 16. He belonged to a debating society in the college which was sworn to secrecy. What was said and happened in the society was to stay within that society. But the college faculty had a plant in that society. And on one occasion, inevitably, a paper was read which poked fun at the faculty members. They heard about this. and They were incensed. They insisted that every member in that secret society declared it wasn't them that had written this paper until they caught the culprit. But Benjamin Palmer objected to their approach. He said it was against the rules of the society and he said the faculty members should be finding out who their plant was rather than who had written this paper. They resented his stance and he was put out of the college. He had a long journey home. By the time he reached home, his father had heard directly from the faculty. His father was ashamed. He was a minister. He was angry. And he was estranged from his son for years. The teenager was broken. But his mother spoke a word in season. She talked to him about the incident. She understood him. She sided with him. She encouraged him. Later, he said, she was my savior. A word in season. How good it is. We must be careful not to say the wrong thing in such a time. But let not that put us off saying the right thing. In such a time. Our actions then. Faith, obedience, generosity. Our words. And thirdly. Our other people. Your wife. Your husband. Chapter 5 verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice. In the wife of your youth. Fountain is a metaphor for the source of pleasure. This is. A reminder that we're to remember the the merits of our wife. Our eye can wander. Our heart can be occupied with the features and character of another. Like the former Prime Minister Harold Wilson who was married to Mary but had two children by his secretary. So rediscover your wife, your husband. And the text says 
she or he will bring you joy. Remember what made you love him or her and marry them in the first place. Yes, she may have changed over the years, but so have you. Secondly, children, chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father. Here's another source of happiness. This proverb is repeated throughout the rest of the book. It's the first one out of the 375 that we've been mentioning. It's significant. And parents know the reality of this. Perhaps we dwell on the second part. A foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Perhaps we think of the first part as being boastful. But we should rejoice with those who rejoice. A wise son makes a glad father. I emphasize the word wise. It is not, does what I think he should do. Or follow the career that I think he should. Or live where I think he should. Or dress as I think he should. Or go out of bed at the time when I think he should. But wise means he fears the Lord. He obeys the Lord. He lives for the Lord. And those other things are secondary. Benjamin Palmer wanted to marry the daughter of Dr. Howe, who was his minister. But the good doctor wanted a man of wealth for his daughter Mary. And that wasn't a minister. So he refused to let them get engaged. But they defied him. And rightly so. And every Sabbath morning, Benjamin with his horse and cart would journey towards church. And at a neighbor's house, he would pick up Mary from the neighbor's house take her to the church and the two of them would sit together under the nose of the minister. And eventually, Dr. Howe allowed them to get married and he married them. In subsequent years when Benjamin Palmer was famous and influential, Dr. Howe would stand at church and family functions in glowing terms, speak about his son-in-law, and all the while his daughter Mary uh, would be with curled lip muttering. You wouldn't have said that when we were going out. Parents, it's a wise son, a wise daughter that we're to pray for. Not a clone of herself. That will make us happy. And then leaders chapter 29 verse 2. When the righteous increase the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule the people groan. Righteous righteous rulers gladden the heart of the people. Wicked rulers make people despair. People in Gaza must be groaning today. We bemoan this run of suspensions of MPs. We want people like Condoleezza Rice who will gladden our heart. So are you happy today? Maybe you are, and you have that true happiness through faith in Jesus. But could you be happier by more obedience, more generosity to the poor, words in season, a delight in your spouse. 
And if you're not yet a Christian, you've got to ponder the first proverb that we considered. Blessed is he that trusts in the Lord.